Again, it's Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, then 8 through 16. And I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll dig into the study of it. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. Now, faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that it was seen is not, was not made out of the things that are visible. Skipping down to verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had gone out of that land, uh, from if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on His word. O Lord, we come before you tonight asking for your blessing asking for you to fill us, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. And have the Holy Spirit, Lord, strengthen and equip us and enable us in our hearts to hear your word, to know what it is that you want us to know. Lord, you've said in your word that it is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. I pray that as we examine this passage, that as we seek to understand what you have for us in it, that we would not leave here the same, but that we would be changed. You would help us to grow more and more into the men and the women that you're making us to be. That you would encourage our hearts by this word. That you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes. I pray especially, Lord, for myself that you would enable me to talk about this passage in a way that is true and good and helpful, that makes sense, that's encouraging. Lord, I pray that you would just be with us tonight, that you would sanctify us by your word. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. This past week, I tried to bake a dessert, one of my favorite desserts. It's not really baking so much as preparing. Does it count as baking if you don't use the oven? I don't know. Um, but I was trying to make an eclair cake. It's a really, it's like a family recipe. recipe. I got it from my grandmother. Some of y'all have had it. Um, and basically, it's like a layer of graham crackers, and then I make this mixture of like pudding, instant pudding mix and milk and... Uh, cool Whip, and it's just really light. It has sort of the consistency of Cool Whip, and you spread it in between layers of graham crackers and top it off with chocolate frosting, and then you just let it sit for like a couple hours in the refrigerator, and it's awesome. It tastes great. It's really, really good. But uh, something different happened this past time. Something uh, this past weekend when I was making it, it didn't work out so well, because when I was going to make the filling, it I don't know exactly what happened, um, but it, it was very, like, liquidy and watery. It was disgusting. It was nasty. 
It was gross. I was like getting legitimately angry at it because I did the exact same thing that I always do. I followed the exact same instructions, the same ingredients. I did the same thing. And somehow I got different results. Like I, I was reading the, the instructions being like, I literally don't know what I could have done differently. Um, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the, these instructions that have normally served me well, but this time they didn't work. Um, I was really frustrated. I was like, what, what, do these, what does this recipe want me to do differently? What should my response to this be? It was confusing. What do I do with that? And we're talking tonight about a topic that I think sometimes makes us feel that way. Right? You, you hear the word faith all the time in the church, among Christians. You read it in the Bible. And other than us knowing to some extent, we're like, okay, we're, I'm supposed to have faith. A lot of times we don't really know what to do with that. What does it look like for us to have faith? What does it mean to have faith? We hear it all the time, right? You just got to have faith. Just believe more. Just believe harder. Just got to believe that things are going to work out. Um, or, you know, have faith in Christ, right? That's, that's our part, so to speak, in salvation. That's what we do. What does it mean to, to become a Christian? Well, just have faith in Christ. Have faith in Jesus. Um, and we see it in the scripture too, right? The scripture talks about it. Faith seems to be something that we do or have. And so it's worth asking the question, what is faith? What does it mean to relate to God on the basis of faith or through faith? What is faith? From our subjective point of view, to put it another way, from our subjective point of view, like from our perspective, our own mental, emotional kind of view on the world, what does it mean to have a relationship with God, to believe in him? Um, I, would suggest, I would suggest to you that's the word, uh, that is what Bible describes with the word faith. To know God, to believe in him. And what I want you all to get tonight from this basically, like the main point, is that because God has revealed his word to us, because God has, has revealed himself to us in his word, we can have faith in his promises. And there are two aspects of what faith looks like that I want you all to get from this. Two things, two maybe like practical takeaways that you can look at your life, that you can look at yourself, and be like, okay, this is, this is something that belongs to faith. This is something that is related to faith. That, that This is something that faith looks like. And the first is that Faith, faith is essentially trust in a person. Faith means that you're trusting in a person. Faith is trust in a person. And secondly, that faith always responds in love. Faith has a response in love. So faith trusts in a person, faith responds in love. First off, faith trusts in a person. This passage, um, if you see right in verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's actually continuing on a line of argument from the end of chapter 10. He's continuing on, like, if you, if you want to understand what the Bible's saying, a lot of times you need to look at what the context around a specific passage is. He's continuing on what he's saying. I'm going to go ahead and read the last verse in verse 39. The author writes, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And the next line, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So he's defining faith. He's just said, hey, faith, having faith, we who are of faith, if you have faith, one of the results of that is that your souls will be preserved. You will be kept. You will be protected. To preserve something is to, to, to keep it from corrupting. 
to keep it from decaying. You will be preserved. Faith, somehow, there's a link between faith and the preservation of the soul. And the author expands on what this means, what it means to have faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith looks to something that you don't have in your hands right now. It's something that looks to the future or looks to something that um, will be more real at one point in time to you. It's looking ahead to something else. The assurance of things hoped for, that something that you are assured of, that you, you are hoping in, that you are looking ahead, that you're, you're hoping that you're going to get. The conviction, the, the, the belief of something that you cannot see. Um, specifically, right, in the Christian context, that definition of faith actually, you know, it, that works in a lot of different contexts. You could have faith in, right, that you're going to, like, crush your exams. You could have hope that your rest of your semester is going to go awesome. You could have faith that, like, you're going to have a, an awesome Christmas break. I hope it is awesome. I hope it's really restful for you all. But faith in the Christian context is specifically looking at God's character, looking at what God says about himself, about the world, about who you are, about how he wants to have a relationship with you, is looking at what God says and trusting it. Looking at who God says he is, what he's doing, what he will do, and the promises that he makes to you and trusting that, believing in those promises, resting upon the work that God has done for you. Right? And, and the author gives a lot of examples in here. He talks about, we're not going to read through all of it, but he talks about Abel, the faith that Abel had and what that brought to him. The faith that Enoch had and the faith that, that, what, what that faith brought to him. Noah, what that brought to him. And Abraham, and then so on and so on and so on. Um, and he is saying that through faith, a lot of things happen. Before he gets to that list, in verse 3, he says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what was seen, what is seen, is not made, was not made, out of things that are visible. Uh, One common, I think, misconception about faith in religion is that faith is blind, right? To believe in God, you just kind of, like, close your eyes and, like, just wish really hard and hope that you can, like, work up some sort of emotional feeling in your heart so that you can get to a place where you're like, I think that God might, you know, probably kind of sort of, probably exists. That's not what faith is at all. Faith is not blind. It's actually rational. It's based upon evidence, um, right? It's, it's based upon what God says in his word. Sometimes I think we get the picture in our culture of that faith is just someone like closing their eyes and being like, I, I believe in fairies. I think they're real. No, like, faith is based upon evidence. It's based upon, it's believing that something is going to happen based on a history and a relationship. Based on something that's going to happen in the future, believing in something that's going to happen in the future, based on a past history and a past relationship. Um, It's connected to and founded upon the word of God, right? God has revealed his word to us. This counts as evidence in sort of that accounting, We have the word of God. We have God's character revealed to us. God showed himself in his word to be loving and kind and wise and faithful and keeping his promises to you. And so you can look to those pieces of data, those pieces of information as you're um, considering things. Faith is founded upon something. It, It is the words of God 
that we can base our faith upon. And the word of God implies a broader relationship and knowledge of that person as well. Think about this. Uh, Here's an example. My wife, Anna Kristen, I didn't introduce you earlier. I'm sorry about that. Um, This is my wife, Anna Kristen, in the front row here. She's awesome. Y'all can talk to her. Um, She is an amazing gift giver. Her number one love language is gift giving. The way that she communicates affection most naturally is by giving gifts. And every year since we have started dating, she has given me an incredibly thoughtful and generous gift for my birthday and Christmas. This is my birthday birthday month, by the way. I was born November 26th. Um, And so uh, in the past, right, she has given me something every birthday and every Christmas. She gave me uh, some awesome Blundstone boots. She gives me, um, I feel like, your regular Christmas gift to me is a pair of sneakers. Um, she gives me all kinds of awesome things. Um, so they're all great. And so another thing about this, my, my birthday and Christmas are coming up. She has told me already, like, I am going to be, like, giving you some gifts for Christmas. I'm going to be, like, she asked me to give her a list of things that I would want to be given for gifts. She has told me, you know, Nathaniel, I bought one of your birthday gifts today. I bought one of your Christmas gifts today. Um, and she's, you know, been updating me on, on the sort of the, the process. She's like, Nathaniel, don't look at the mail uh, for the next few days, <laughs> right? Um, how should I respond to her? I know that she loves me. I know that she has told me that she's going to give me a gift for Christmas. I have assurance in this thing that I'm hoping for, that I'm going to wake up on Christmas morning and I'm going to have some presents to open. Like, that's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. But I don't have them. They're not in my hands yet. I have a conviction of things that I can't see. I'm not allowed to see them yet. <laughs> um, it's not allowed. They are hidden safely away. I have conviction in this even though I can't see it. And I won't see it until my birthday comes or Christmas morning comes. Like, why do I go into all that? Because... Like, think about this for the hypothetical. What if I refuse to believe this? In spite of our relational history, and in spite of the evidence of her word to me that she is, like, buying me things, what if I still said, you know, like, no, I don't believe you. You didn't get me anything. And so I'm not going to get you anything. Or, you know, something unkind like that. One, that would be weird. Like, that would be irrational. That would actually be irrational. It would be flying in the face of all the evidence that I had. And secondly, it would be like kind of a slap in the face to her. It would be very unkind. It is reasonable to trust and to have faith in what Anna Kristen is saying to me. Trusting in a person, having faith in a person, means that you know them. And what the Bible is saying, what this passage is indicating, the stories that it tells about Abraham, it tells stories of faith that people had in the context of the relationships that they had with God. God went to them. He initiated a relationship with them. Abraham was just some dude, like wandering around Mesopotamia. And God showed up to him and moved towards him in love. God has moved towards you, right, in a number of ways. He's given us his word. Uh, Romans 1 says that the glory of God is available and obvious and apparent to all mankind. He stooped so low as to send his son in the form of a human, to live on your behalf and to die for you. God has initiated time after time moving towards you in relationship. And so having faith in him, having faith in God is not blind faith. It is trust 
on the basis of a prior relationship, trust on a relationship that has existed for thousands of years, right? And you, you, you say that and you're like, well, you know, Nathaniel, obviously that, that, that example is ridiculous because you know Anna Kristen, you can talk to her. But the Bible says that like you can talk to God too, and you have his word. And furthermore, it says that when the thing that keeps us from being uh, imminently aware of God's presence is actually, like, that's on us. It's our sin. We have clouded the truth with our own unrighteousness, according to the book of Romans. Faith, ultimately, is trust in God. There's enough evidence in the Bible and in the world to know him and to trust him. That's all that faith is, ultimately. Like, if you had to narrow it down to one definition, faith is trust in God, that he is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he did, and that he's going to do what he has said he's going to do. And I, I want to also give a caveat. Faith is not free from doubt. Like, when I say faith, I don't want y'all to think, like, you have to have this sort of, like, 100% emotional certainty with no, like, gaps, with no lapses, with no doubts. Look at verse 11. It says that by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Y'all know how Sarah responded when God, like, showed up and said, hey, look, I'm going to give you a son. She literally laughed in his face. Because she doubted. She was like, that promise is too good to be true. It can't be. Couldn't be me. Um, I'm too old. The love that you're saying that you have for me, God, it's too good. It's too precious. It's too sweet. That can't be true. Faith is not free from doubt. Faith is always mixed with doubt. There's a story in the the book of Mark that I think illustrates this really good. A guy brings his son to Jesus, or he's trying to bring his son to Jesus, who's afflicted with, um, the Bible says, a unclean spirit or a demon. And he brings it to Jesus' disciples, and they can't get rid of it. They can't heal it. They can't cast it out. And so because of the failure, like that's a data point for him in how he interprets the world. That's evidence for him. Because of that, he thinks there's nothing Jesus can do. And so he struggles to have faith that Jesus can or will help him and help his son. Jesus recognizes this, and he kind of wants to challenge him. And he says, you know, you, uh, you know, essentially I'm paraphrasing, he says, you have doubt. All things are possible for the one who believes. And this man cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. And in response to that kind of faith, faith that is mixed with unbelief, faith that is mixed with unfaith, Jesus heals this dude's sin. Faith that God responds to, that God accepts as legitimate, that God accepts as saving faith, y'all, it can be clouded with doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith, by no means. Because it's not dependent on you. It's not something that you do to make God love you. Faith is not a work that you do to, to sort of unlock God's love for you. Faith is an instrument that God uses in his hands to bring us into his kingdom. Ephesians 2 makes this clear. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so when you know, the Bible says, hey, you ought to have faith in Christ, it is speaking into a reality that God is at work in your life. That God is giving you faith, that God is giving us faith to trust in him because it's good for us. Um, because that is what we need. Faith is knowing God, because God has revealed who he is in the Bible and trusting, essentially, that revelation of himself. Faith is something that God gives us. If you have faith, right, you have it because God has given it to you. And I hope that you take that and, like, 
that, that that's very encouraging to you. Because if you have any trust in, in God, if you have any desire to love Jesus, any hope in the gospel, that means that God's been at work in your life. That you have not, out of your own sort of wisdom or intelligence or moral power, conjured up that inside yourself. And if that's true, then like, you can't take it away from yourself by messing up or by falling into sin or having doubts. Right? If, if faith is emotional certainty, then every time that we have doubt, that's a crisis. But if faith is trust in God that has been given to us by God, then doubt is an opportunity to say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me. Draw near to me. So, like, if that's true, I invite you to believe, to have faith, to ask God to give you faith, to turn from whatever it is that you're believing in. By the way, like, everyone on campus, all of you in this room, everyone has faith in something. Everyone trusts in something outside of themselves that they uncritically, you know, put, give themselves to. Whether it's your own intelligence, your own mental faculties, your own capacity to figure out the world, or it's some kind of experience, some kind of comfort that you get from outside of yourself, whether it's friends or uh, maybe it's exercise or, you know, whatever it is, like whatever you look to to make yourselves feel whole, that's something that you're trusting in, that you're putting your faith in. You have faith in something, whether that's Jesus, right, or our culture's take on things or whatever it is. And, and what I'm trying to say to you is that believing in Jesus actually is better. Because he has actually entered into your lives. He has entered into human existence and subjected himself to suffering and pain and death so that you can have eternal life. But that's not all. Faith is not just trusting in God. It is trusting in God. But true faith also involves a response, which brings me to point two. Faith always responds with love. There is, true faith responds with love. Faith doesn't remain alone. The book of James says that faith without works is dead. What he's trying to say is that like false faith or fake faith, uh, it goes no further than the level of someone saying, I have faith. But true faith goes beyond that. True faith involves a response. Look at the people listed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah. They all have a response. They, they didn't do anything to deserve this faith that God has given them. They received these promises by faith or through faith, but then they obeyed and disobeyed. Like, it's a mixed bag, honestly. Um, but they, there is a response. Faith has an impact in their lives. Abraham received the promises by faith, and then he went out and he left his homeland to follow God, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. That sounds good for maybe like two days. And after that, y'all, I like want to go home and like sleep in my bed. But Abraham, he was willing to go and like live as a nomad, as a wanderer, walking around to obey God, responding to God's command. And this is like them mentioning Abraham. Y'all, they would have thought of Abraham in uh, this time. Like he is, he's like, in terms of having faith, he's the greatest of all time to these people. Right? When they look at the Old Testament, Abraham is number one. He's the number one guy. And he went out, he had faith, this faith that was gifted to him by God. Faith is not, another thing faith is not, it's not just intellectually agreeing with something. 
It's not just saying, yep, I think that God exists, and leaving it there. It's a whole person response. Um, Every single one of these people, they responded not just with their minds, but with their hearts. Love for God, obeying him, responding with their actions. Faith is a whole person response to God with love. You do have faith with your mind, the place that you think, but you also have faith in your heart and with your actions. Faith is acted out when it's done with love for God. Right? What does that look like? One is that it it looks like love for God. If you have faith, if you trust in God's promises, you will respond with love for God. You will love the things that God loves. You'll begin to value his word. You'll think that the Bible is important. You won't be like trying to read it because you think that it makes you a better person, but you'll read it because you want to know the person who wrote it, who inspired it, who breathed it out. You want to love that person. You will pay attention to his words and use them and seek them as an authority for your life. So I you know, invite you to reflect. Do you love God's word? Because in it you can love God. You get to experience this person who gave up everything to, to win you. Do you love his word? Do you obey his word? Do you think about what he loves and think about that as important? Another way that love uh, is manifested, love for God, the thing that God loves you know, most, besides his son, is his people, is the saints, all of the believers. Love for the things that God loves, which is most expressed in love for your neighbor and for the church. Love for the people around you and love for God's people, the church. And so I invite you to ask, like, do you gather together with community? Do you honor God with the way that you love people around you? Do you honor God with the way that you love people that are maybe difficult to love? Or do you just kind of surround yourselves with people who make you feel comfortable? Um, To love God, you must love the things that God loves. And Jesus loved people who were very difficult to love. Like, y'all, think about it. We are very difficult for God to love. We are balls of wretchedness and sin, and God sent his son Jesus to take on human flesh— to make the you know longest journey possible in conceptual you know history from divinity to mortality and then to go die on a cross for us like that's hard that is difficult to love if god has loved you that way then you can love the person on your hall the person in your class who's like not the most fun to talk to finally um I think another thing that this talks about, another way that this describes love, the love that um, is a respondent uh, of faith, is that we will have a love and hope and an anticipation for the new creation that God is bringing about. The Bible says uh, in this, you see, um, he says about Abraham, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He's saying that Abraham is looking for a place to live a mode of existence, a country that is unlike any in this world. He's looking ahead to a heavenly country, to a better one. It says in verse 13 that these, talking about all of the Old Testament saints, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. The point of this, y'all, is like we were made for a world that is more precious and beautiful than the one we live in. We were made for a mode of existence where death and pain and suffering are not factors. Do you think, do you treat this world as if it was your home? Right? That, that's the question that we have to provoke uh, in ourselves. Do we acknowledge that we are wanderers and exiles, strangers and exiles on the earth like Abraham does? That's part of what faith means, trusting in God's promises and trusting specifically in the promise that he is going to bring about a better kingdom, a better world than the one that we have now. Because y'all, like, I know y'all, and I know myself, and there is there are desires that I have for peace and comfort and rest that this world cannot give me. And I know that there are things that y'all want, desires that you have to be known and loved and accepted to avoid pain and sadness and suffering that I'm going to be honest, like, you can't find on earth. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says that um, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Y'all were made for another world. This is a um, this is a really silly example. Um, in the office, Stanley Hudson, um, he lives as if he is a stranger in an exile at Dunder He says, uh, I have a quote, he says, I wake up every morning in a bed that's too small, driving my daughter to a school that's too expensive, and then I go to a job for which I paid too little. Like, I think that could describe some of y'all, like, obviously not every detail, that could describe some of y'all's existences here. And the bad news news is, like, eh, it might not get that much better uh, in this life. There are going to be things about your life that make you feel uncomfortable, Things in this life cannot bear the weight of your satisfaction. There's always going to be a problem. There's always going to be an issue. The rest of that quote, um, the day that Stanley Hudson says that, he says, but on pretzel day, I like pretzel day. 364 out of 365 days of the year, Stanley Hudson is a stranger in an exile at Dunder Mifflin. But one day out of the year, it can bear the weight of his satisfaction. It can hold his desires. And what it means to have faith in Christ is every now and again, heaven breaks in. Heaven comes to you. Reading the Bible is a chance to encounter that world that is coming in. Worshiping together with God's people is an opportunity (laughs) to have a spiritual pretzel day. Something is coming in to meet you. You are not satisfied. You long for utter and complete rest. You long for uh, the banishment forever of sin and struggle and strife. For boredom to be gone forever. Like, imagine being in a world where, like, nothing ever makes you bored. I can't fathom what that's like. For no pain, no sadness, no evil. And the good news is, God is bringing this about. He is accomplishing this. And Revelation 21 and 22 describes that reality breaking in with fullness and finality. We live in a world that is between times. Jesus has accomplished that reality. He's accomplished... Uh, the resurrection, he rose from the dead, and in him raising from the dead, we have an assurance that we also will be raised from the dead, that the world will be healed, right? That the world that we were made for will come about. 
Why hasn't that happened yet? I didn't read this earlier, but at the last verse of this chapter, um, verse 39 and verse 40, it says, And all these, talking about the list of all the Old Testament Christians, though commended through that faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What that means is that God is at work bringing all of his people, all of the people that he loves, into his kingdom. Think about this. Imagine, you know, for just the sake of imagining, that Jesus decided to come back 100 years ago. We would have skipped World War II. There would never have been an atomic bomb. Millions of people who died and suffered would not have had to experience that. But millions of God's people would never have been born and would never have existed. We wouldn't have. God loves us so much that he is not willing to let one of his sons and daughters be left out of his kingdom. And that's why Jesus delays his coming back. Not that he delays, he has the the right moment in the, the mind of the Father, and he will come back and set all things new when all of his people have been gathered to him. You were made for another world. And so you're an exile and a wanderer in this one. Love God, love your neighbor, and like, pack light, essentially. I'm going to close with this story. There's this, uh, I read this story, a pastor named Derek Thomas kind of reported it. It's a story about this ship that was sailing from England to America in the 1800s. And about halfway across the crossing, um, there was this terrible storm. The waves are crashing over the bow. The wind's howling. And everyone freaks out. They're thinking about, oh, man, should we get the lifeboats? We get in the lifeboats. The storm's going to, you know, we won't be able to survive out there. And the people are going around, like the, the, the sailors are going around, like, checking on people, making sure that they're okay. And the sailors get to the, the room of this one girl. It's a little girl. The storm's raging. And the sailors get to this cabin of this little girl in her room, and instead of being afraid, she just asked, like, hey, like, is my father okay? Like, what's he doing? And they were like, oh, he's, he's up on deck. And uh, she was like, okay, and she just went back to sleep. Because her father was the captain of the ship, and she knew that she was safe with him watching over her. She could sleep soundly through the storm because she knew that her dad was on deck with a hand on the wheel. No matter what storms you go through in this life, no matter what doubts you might face, no matter what you experience, your Heavenly Father is standing at the wheel. And he is watching over you now. He has sent his Son to save you. He's making all things new. Let's pray.